Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be at church today. Let's read God's Word together. We have been uh, starting this year with a series called Building God's House. We started with uh, two sermons from the book of Zechariah. We've had a little bit of a diversion. Now we're coming back for two more weeks in Zechariah. So read with me from Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by, and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbour to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Let's bow in prayer together. Thank you, Father. We can gather as your people today. You have blessed us so much. We thank you, Father. As we open your word, the Bible now, and think about it, we always need your help. And we just want to invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Help us to understand your truth. Show us how you want us to respond today. So be our teacher today, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How does someone who has messed up their life find redemption? How does it happen? Every year, there's a list of celebrities who make an appalling error of judgment. Their name is dragged through the mud by the media. They get banished from uh, the good books of society. They go through some sort of rehabilitation program, and then a year or two later, they re-emerge contrite and humble, promising to be different from now on. Lately, in the rugby league world, it's been Blake Ferguson and uh, Todd Carney, who both got into trouble with the drink, uh, made appalling errors of judgment in public places, were banished from the game, exiled for a little while, and now in different settings are making new starts. This is what Blake Ferguson says on his recent return to play. 
He says, it's a chance and an opportunity for me, but I am just working on improving myself as a person. No one is fully rehabilitated. There's always the chance of something going wrong. But I know in myself that I've changed a lot, and I've spent the last eight months or so trying to rebuild my image. Whether it is good or bad, what has happened has happened for a reason, and it's helped me as a person. This is what Todd Carney said recently. He was banished to play in France, never to play in Australia again. And he says, it's good to go to a place where you can just relax and be who you are and not be known for what you've been through. My past is always going to be there, but it's good to have a fresh start. I'm not in the public eye of Sydney, but there are a lot of eyes watching from there, wanting me to fail, and I'm aware of that. I don't really care about what people say about me in Sydney or the people who say it. They're nobody to me. For me, to do well here is going to kick sand in their faces and it definitely drives me, but I don't have to prove them wrong. The only person I have to prove anything to me to is me. This is a new chapter for me and me alone. Zechariah is written to a group of people, a group of ancient Jews who returned after a long period of exile in Babylon. They've come back to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, and they have this desire, this goal to rebuild God's temple, but that project has sat still for 16 years. And now God is speaking to his people. He is giving them the kick up the backside, as it were, and saying, Get back on task with God's work for your life. Get back on task with God's kingdom work. The building of the temple which has laid in ruins, which the foundations got laid but nothing else happened. Finish the job you started 16 years ago. And God speaks through Zechariah and he gives in these first six or so chapters of Zechariah eight visions. We started uh, looking at these visions earlier in the year and we noticed that these eight visions, they work like the layers of an onion. Vision number one corresponds with vision number eight, in which the message was that God will bring rest to Jerusalem. Visions number two and three corresponded with vision six and seven, in which God was going to come and build his house in Jerusalem, and sin was going to get booted out of Israel, and it was going to go to its own place, its own house uh, in exile. We come uh, today and next week to the, the central two visions, which is rare, where really God really gives his power punch through the prophet Zechariah, the crux of his message in Zechariah, these visions four and five. And what happens in visions four and five is God speaks, God has a message for the two main leaders amongst these ancient Jews, a main message for Joshua, who was the high priest, and another message for Zerubbabel, who was the next in line to be king. And God says to these two guys, you need to stand up and take responsibility for seeing God's work begin again amongst God's people. Now today we look at chapter 3. We look at this vision which is directed to this leader, Joshua, who was the high priest. And it seems, reading in between the lines, that Joshua is a little bit hesitant about this job that God has for him to do. And it seems he has an excuse for not standing up and taking responsibility as the leader which God wants him to be. 
Why is Joshua hesitating? Well, look at verse 1. In this vision, Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan is standing at his right hand to accuse him. Satan is accusing him. Satan is there in this vision, pointing the finger and saying, this man is a no-hoper. This man is no good. Call yourself a high priest, Joshua. What a joke. Uh, We come down to verse 3, and we see that Joshua is dressed in filthy garments. His clothes, perhaps his priestly robes, are filthy. They're covered in mud. And of course, it represents a life full of sin. This is your new high priest, says Satan. Look at him. Is this the man you're counting on to get the work of God going again in Jerusalem? It's, it's great to see that this new temple will be in such great hands. This Joshua, this man. Joshua was brought up in Babylon. Uh, he was brought up amongst all sorts of pagan people, mixing as one among, of, of many nations in Babylon, amidst all sorts of different people who had come from different lands and countries. We don't know what sort of practices Joshua got up to in his youth. Maybe that's what is plaguing Joshua's mind about his youth in pagan Babylon, mixing with all sorts of people who did all sorts of pagan and sinful practices, and Joshua feels that his name is mud. Joshua has a history, perhaps. Or maybe, maybe it's not really that Joshua has done anything hugely wrong, it's just that he doesn't feel like much of a leader. He grew up in Babylon, and being the next high priest to come, being a a, a Levite in the the line to be high priest, well, that wasn't a big deal back in Babylon. He was just one of the crowd. He was just one of the boys. Nobody cared that he was in the priestly family. But now he comes to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, he is a somebody, and he has to step up and fulfill a role. He didn't have much choice priesthood is in his blood. It's his family heritage. It should feel like a privilege for him to be the high priest. But actually, he doesn't really know if there's anything special about him. And actually, it's a bit of a burden. He would prefer just to be a normal, everyday bloke. Why does he have to be a leader? Why can't he live a normal life instead of having to stand up the front and try to motivate the rest of his people? And so Satan accuses, you're not good enough, Joshua. You're just a normal, everyday person. What's so special about you that you think you're going to be the leader? If only people knew about the private thoughts of your mind, people would be shocked and they would boot you out from being high priest. You're not good enough, Josh. You're not good enough. We used to have a guy... Uh, who was living with us for a little while, who came and studied at Bible College. Uh, He was a lovely guy, friendly, enthusiastic. Everybody loved him, got on really well with him. But he had a few character issues. He never seemed to be able to get things done. Uh, He started off at Bible College reasonably well, but as months went by, more and more of his assignments got handed in late or not handed in at all. 
And then we discovered that he wasn't paying his fees. He never paid a single cent. He was enthusiastic, he was friendly, he would spend all the night on his phone to his friends, even before the day before an assignment was due. And as a result, none of his assignments got handed in, and he spent all of his money on other gadgets which came up, and so as a result, none of his fees got paid. And eventually he was asked to leave the college. Towards the end of his time with us, he came out wearing a T-shirt one day, which he thought was rather amusing. But actually, it really showed the truth of the matter. It was a singlet, and it said, slacker. Slacker. And it was as if this guy had embraced this as his identity. I guess I'm a slacker. This is who I am. I, I, I haven't been able to hold down a job very well before. I come to Bible college and I have a similar experience. This is who I am. This is my destiny. I am a slacker. And you know, that was the accusation of Satan for him. This is where Satan, what Satan loves to do to us. He loves to pin us down with an accusation. Who are you? You are a slacker. You are a no-hoper. You are a lazy good-for-nothing. I wonder this morning, is there a T-shirt perhaps which you don't wear, but a, a word which you have begun to accept which defines who you are? defines the accusation which Satan brings and labels you with. Maybe it's something which you've done in your past, a decision which you've made which has messed up your life in the past, or decisions. Maybe it's a character trait which, which just has happened in your family and it just rolls out in your behaviour now. Maybe it's a relationship breakdown and there's this, you look back and there's sorrow and sadness and even anger about this relationship which has fallen apart in the past, and that defines who you are now, even as you think about future relationships. Maybe you've had issues with work in your past, in which you've failed in different jobs, and you've been labelled, or you've accepted the label for yourself that you're a failure, you're no good at that. You're a quitter. Maybe it's an aspect of your character, you have an anger problem or, or anxiety or, or, or stress or depression. Maybe it's your physical health. And your physical health you've had troubles with and so it's led to a lack of confidence in who you are now because you can't rely on it anymore. What's the solution for when we are not the people that we wish we were? What's the solution? The common solution in our world is the idea of self-esteem. The idea of you must start believing in yourself. You must prove to yourself that you are somebody worthwhile. That's what Todd Carney said. I'm just going, I don't care about anyone else, I'm just going to prove it to myself that I am a somebody. The Bible starts with something different. The Bible starts with confession. The Bible starts by saying, it's true. I do have problems. 
Zechariah sees Joshua, and Joshua is dressed in filthy garments. That's where it starts. Joshua is in filthy garments. And the truth is, we're in a filthy condition before God. Verse 2 says, uh, just uh, at the end of verse 2, what does, God, what does God say? Is not this a brand or a burning stick plucked from the fire? God says that Zechariah is a stick which belongs in the fire. And what he's talking about is hell. He is deserving of hell. That is how bad Joshua's sins have been. The message of the Bible is one which is uncomfortable for us to stomach. It's that our sins, our failures, are worse than we thought. Our sins are more serious than we realize. The message of the world generally is, you're a good person, you've just made one or two little errors of judgment along the way. The message of the Bible is, no, you have made serious mistakes before God. You have offended God. You have messed up your life. You are deserving of hell. The great news is, though, that the Bible also says that though our sins are far more worse and far more hideous and far more uh, awful than we ever realized, the Bible also says that God's grace and God's forgiveness are far more amazing than we ever dreamed. Look at verse 2 again. What does God say? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a burning stick plucked from the fire? God says, I have grabbed Joshua. I have pulled him out of the fire. He's my chosen one. He is mine. How dare you say a word against Joshua? God says. And then, of course, what happens? The filthy clothes are removed from Joshua. Remove the filthy garments from him. Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with what sort of clothes? Well, hang on a minute. Joshua, you know, his marriage isn't quite happening yet. You know, it's still a lot of problems in that marriage. And, you know, Joshua, he, he's got a bit of a commitment problem. He, not, a, not a reliable type of guy. He's still sorting out how to, how to get his life organized. We can't give him white garments. We'll give him a secondhand gray robe, okay? It's just so that he can, we, sort of a probationary period. Like Gandalf the Grey has to do the hard yards before he, you know, he proves himself and he's Gandalf the White. Yes, he's done it. And so we'll just see how Joshua goes. We'll give him sort of a second rate, a second hand sort of grey robe. And if he proves it for himself for a year or two, yeah, then we'll say he's, he's, he's the guy for us. He's Joshua, Joshua the White. No. Verse 5, God gives him sparkling white clothes as if he's completely perfect. And Joshua is probably thinking something like, you've got to be kidding, right? Me? Perfect? Priestly robes as if I've never done anything wrong? Snow white? Me? How does this work? That's, that's crazy. Verse 8, God says, Behold, I will bring my servant the branch 
it's an allusion back to the prophecy of Isaiah, where Isaiah makes different prophecies about a figure, a man who is to come, and he's called the branch and he's called the servant. The branch represents the fact that he's the descendant of King David, and there's going to be a descendant of King David who's going to come, who's going to fix up the world, he's going to bring reconciliation back with God, he's going to bring peace, he's going to bring prosperity, he's going to bring heaven, he's going to fix up this world, the branch. And then we come later in Isaiah and we find this other figure, the servant. He's the same figure. He's the king who's going to come. He's going to fix up the world. But Isaiah 53, it goes further. And it says that this servant is going to deal with our mess, with our sin, with our filth. By offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Did you hear what God's saying in that passage? God was saying that my servant is going to come and he is going to have our sins laid on him. Our filth, our mess, our mistakes. He is going to take it for us. He is going to pay the penalty. And look at verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Clean, white, pure, perfect because he paid the price we can be made righteous because he will bear their sins their iniquities this servant this branch we now know who that was of course it was jesus jesus took the filth of our sins upon us when he died on the cross and he gives us a perfectly clean righteousness instead and so we come back to verse 9 in zechariah and God says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In a single day, all of the filth and all of the mistakes of your life is removed. All of it gone in one day and you get a perfect record, a white, as it were, a white robe. What day? The day when Jesus Christ died for your sins. The day when he rose again to finish the deal for us. And because of that, those of us who believe and know Jesus are brought perfect forgiveness, perfect cleansing, as if we've never sinned at all. Now, this is quite a different idea from the self-esteem movement, which says you're, you, you, you've messed up your life, or what you've got to do is you've got to believe in yourself and forget about what other people say and prove yourself to, your, prove yourself to the world, prove yourself to yourself. No, this is different. This is not use a bit of religion to prove that you're a decent guy to God. This is, no, admit that you've messed up your life, but accept it. Accept what Jesus has done for you as a gift and accept that clean white clothes, that clean white record from Jesus and then start living in the light of that. Yesterday we went to the beach and went to the park, played with the kids and Abby climbed up some things she shouldn't have been climbing up and she couldn't get down she calls me over i reach up 
and she jumps down and grabs me and she whispers in my ear, Daddy, you're my saviour. Wasn't that sweet, hey? Couldn't let that one pass for a sermon illustration this morning. But you know what? That's what you and I have to do. We've got, that's the sort of decision you need to make. You've just got to jump into Jesus' arms and say, Jesus, you're my saviour. And that's it. That's it. I'm just going to cling to you. You're it. How does this message relate to us this morning? Number one, it might relate to you because you've never really got this before, because you've just been trying to prove yourself a decent sort of person, and hopefully God will accept you if you prove that you're a decent enough sort of person. It doesn't work that way, so listen carefully. You don't prove yourself to God. The way it works is you start by admitting that, no, I'm not good enough. I admit my, my life is a mess. My life is full of mistakes. I admit that, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take all of my sins away, a single day, all gone, perfectly white. So I just believe in what Jesus has done for me, and it's like Abby, I jump off and I say, Jesus, you're my saviour, and I want to live with your strength and help your way from now on. Have you ever done that before? You ever done that? I did that when I was about 10 years old. Most people, they need... Some people, it, it, it almost happens subconsciously as a child. I think that's possible. But most people, they need to make a clear and definite decision where they say, I want to do that today. I want to make a decision. I'm going to stop trying to prove myself that I'm decent enough. I'm just going to accept Jesus' righteousness as a gift today. If you haven't done that, or if you, it's, it's vague and fuzzy in your mind, well, please don't go away today with talking before you talk with someone about that. Uh, the second way that this message this morning might relate to us is that you might need to take this message on board in relationship to doing ministry in our church because that is what this whole series is about and that is why God was giving this message to Joshua because Joshua was hesitant. He was sitting back saying, oh, I couldn't possibly stand up and take that responsibility on because I'm nobody special because I've made a mess in my past. I'm not good enough. And so God's message to Joshua was, Joshua, stop living under accusation. Stop living under condemnation and shame and stand up and embrace the calling which God has given you for your life. I've made you a priest. I've cleansed you from your sin. So now you go and be a priest. I've made you, I've given you a high priest's robe. It's perfect robe. So go and start living in that robe. Fulfill your calling. Many people, they struggle with identity issues and even though we know the gospel, we're living under condemnation and under shame. We know the theory that Jesus has taken all my sins away, I'm accepted before God, but we're still struggling with insecurities and identity issues. We're still struggling with things in our past. We're still struggling with labels which other people have put on us, like, oh, that person had a divorce in the past, or that person, they're no good, they let us down in the past. Don't let that sort of accusation stop you from fulfilling God's calling for you this year at church and for the rest of your life. Accept that you've made mistakes in the past, admit that, be honest, confess it, but then accept God's forgiveness and step up to do the job which God has for you to do. 
There's so many jobs which are needed in our church family, a small church family, Sunday school teachers. We need Sunday school teachers. I bet there's a lot of people in our church and they're thinking, but I don't know enough yet. Uh, I, I don't know the Bible well enough to be able to teach stories. Or it might be, oh, but I, I might get a record that, you know, I can't keep the kids under control or something. It might be, I, I'm not mature enough in my faith to be discipling somebody. It might be, but I don't really love God enough to honestly share my faith with somebody else. Well, God challenges us, God's Word challenges us to reject the accusations of condemnation. Of course, you're not worthy enough to serve God. Of course you're not. We all know that. But the only reason we serve God is because God has, by His grace, wiped our record clean and then says, now go and be the person that I have made you in Christ. So, let's finish. Uh, what is Satan's accusation to you? Why don't you close your eyes? Enter in a time of prayer. What is, God's, what is Satan's accusation which he just loves to ram into your mind? What does he tell you? You're no good because... What's your character thing which Satan keeps on saying, no, you won't be able to do that. No, you're not good enough. No, you've messed up in the past. How long are you planning to live with that identity ruling you? How long? How long has it been? And how much longer are you planning to continue? Another five years? A few more months? Are you planning to do something about it today? Why not listen to God's word? Listen to the gospel. Because the gospel says, by his stripes we are healed. The gospel says that he was wounded for our transgressions. The gospel says that the blood of Jesus Christ takes away every sin. It cleanses us from every sin. So why don't you stand up and say, Jesus, you're my saviour. And I'm going to step forward to do what you want me to do from now on. Anyone want to stand and say that this morning? Jesus, you're my saviour. Stand up if you feel like doing that now. It's a symbolic way of saying to God, God, I'm going to step forward trusting in who you've made me to be in Jesus. Anyone want to do that? Just feel free to stand. Father God, how we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that by his blood, his sacrifice, every sin is taken away. We are made clean and pure before you. And Father, now you invite us to step forward and to live a life worthy of our calling. So Father, I pray for everybody here today. I pray that your word would have its clear truth 
come through to people's minds and souls. That you would do a work of grace, a work of revelation, to bring the wonderful truth of the gospel home in a fresh way today. We thank you, Father. We look to you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.